this message will not only help us change our perception of God, but it'll also become very helpful to those of you that are fathers today. You see, as a father, and I, I realized this, when my daughter, who's now 25 years old, we flew to Budapest uh, to be there. It was mentioned earlier, my daughter serves as a missionary in Hungary with the Awakening in Budapest, IPHC missionary. My son just started three weeks ago as a, as a missionary with YWAM, Youth with a Mission. How many guys are familiar with Youth with a Mission, YWAM? We like to say it's youth without money. <laughs> uh, but we're very grateful that, that he's also following his passion. But when, when they placed Rachel, my daughter, in my arms 25 years ago, his first one to hold her, I'll never forget the overwhelming sense of responsibility. I mean, I, I literally, 25 years old, I'm exactly 25 years older than her. I, I looked at that and, and it looked at her in my arms and thought, she's yours. It's your responsibility. A gift from God to steward. Come on, folks. Yeah. Amen. And so I just want to say to you fathers, the perception that you, your kids will have of God will first come from you. The way that you protect them, the way you provide for them, the way you discipline them, the way you love them, the way, you, the way that you care for them is going to become their perception of who God is in their life. How many of you guys realize that? What an awesome responsibility. But how many of you know we have a heavenly father that has given us a great example? Amen. That's what we're hoping to uncover today. Luke chapter 15, we're going to pick up in verse 15, and I'll give you the backstory after that. But this is about the prodigal son. Many of you will remember that. Also, I also want to mention very quickly, on the back, there's a place to sign up for our newsletter. Also, some prayer cards. If you folks would like to pray for us in, in the foyer, we'd love for you to do that. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 18. I will rise and go to my father and will say to him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. Make me, make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Look at verse 22. I want you to see the father doesn't even respond to the son when he's talking this way. But in verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be Mary. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, today we know there's one who's holding the microphone, but Lord, it's your voice that we want to hear. Lord, we're here to receive from you. Lord, we know that your word is like seed planted, and Lord, we declare ourselves good soil to receive from you today. And Lord, we pray that we leave this place differently than the way we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. As we talk about perception, I want to define that for you for a moment. Perception is the way that we see things. And the way that we view things is going to determine the way that we allow information to be received. If you perceive that God is a vengeful God, looking for every mistake that we make so he can pounce on us, uh, that, how many of you guys know that's just a wrong perception? But that perception will become a filter for everything else you learn about him. 
Come on, folks. How many guys are with me? So our perception is educated by two things. First of all, by the way that people have presented themselves to us in their lives, meaning leaders. Perhaps they've been abusive verbally or physically. Maybe they've broken their promises. Maybe fathers have done all of those things and broken their promises. That gives us a perception. Unfulfilled desires that could have could also have, been, have left negative views of who God is. Maybe you've wanted something so deeply and you're angry because God didn't fulfill those things. You see, our perception will also reflect our relationship in the way we allow others to have relationship with us. So if, if uh, our perception is not understanding who God is and our perception is also of ourselves, not understanding who we are, how many of you guys know we're just lost? Amen? But if we can change the way that we see things, if we can change our perception, listen, man's perception of God is often like this, that God wants to control us, that he's vengeful waiting to judge every mistake that we make, that he's holding our past against us, and that he's ashamed of us as his children. Listen, folks, there are a lot of people, that's the way they see God. One of, one of the, uh, <laughs> this is, I hope none of my seminary professors are hearing this right now. The one thing I learned in seminary, there were a lot of things, but folks, some things just save your money. But the one thing that I really valued in my seminary training was when we studied uh, anthropology and the way that people lived, their culture. And we learned that there's something called honor and shame cultures. And these are what's called high context cultures. What does that mean? It means that there's a huge amount of weight on your actions because your actions is a reflection of not just your home, but your entire culture. How many guys can relate to that? I mean, I'll never forget when I was sent out of my church in 1996 to become a youth pastor at another church. My pastor sat down with me, and here's what he told me. He said, now listen, if you get a whooping at that church, when you come home, you're going to get another whooping. <laughs> come on, folks. Well, what was he saying? You're representing us. Come on, folks. And as, and as much as that might be true, how many of you guys know that can be taken to such a negative place, right, that people are living under so much pressure because of honor and shame. Aren't you thankful that we serve a God that's full of grace? Come on, folks. Aren't you thankful that we serve a God that's full of love? Well, that's exactly what we're going to learn about from the story that we just read. If you know the backstory, there's two sons and a father. One of the sons got a little froggy. How many guys know what that means? Right? And he's just saying, look, I don't understand why we have to wait until you die to get our inheritance. Can't you just give it to us now? Listen, this is lesson number one, dads. Listen to me. Don't give your children their inheritance before your time. Come on, folks. Listen, God's time is always better than our time. doesn't matter how much passion and zeal you have. His time is always better. Listen, you better believe it or not. If you're 10 years old or 80 years old, you're still being prepared by him. He's still working on you. Come on, folks. 
And in the right time, my Bible says, don't grow weary and well-doing for in due season. For in his time, you'll reap a harvest if you think not. You will receive if you don't give up. Come on, folks. Amen. Amen. He wanted his inheritance before his father's time. So here's what's interesting. We just read it. His father divided his livelihood to them, it says. So I'm supposing to both sons. And we know what happened. The one son left, and he lived what we call prodigal living. What does that mean? He lived like the world. Squandered his money, wasted his resources, uh, probably self-indulged in many areas of life, found himself broke. Come on, folks. And he found himself working for someone else, feeding their pigs, got to that depressed state in life and said, the servants in my father's house do better than I do. He came to the point that he was so hungry, he almost ate what he was feeding the pigs. So he decided to do what every good son should do. I'm going to go home. I'm going to go home. Now, can you imagine that walk on the way home? That, that journey, we have no idea how far it was. We do know that he was a, working for a citizen of another country, so it was obviously a pretty far journey. But on the way home, could you imagine himself working himself up? The speech he's going to give his father just to become a servant in his house. He wasn't even coming home to be considered a son. He just wanted to be a servant in his father's house because he realized the blessing that he left. Come on, how many of you guys have ever walked away from God and regretted it just a day after? Come on, folks. Oh, there's some honest hands going up. How many of you are grateful that he's always welcoming us back? Amen. That's the God that I serve. Amen? So I want to give us four things that we can learn today, four things that we can learn from this text that will change our perception of who God is because in this story, the Father represents God and the Son represents you and I. But it also allows us as fathers to learn something from this Father as he's representing our Father God. Amen? So the first thing I want you to see is this. The father does not try to control the son. Now, how many of you are sons in this place? How many of you are daughters? Raise your hand. Come on, folks. How many of you ever felt that your parents, all they want to do is control you? <laughs> Three honest people. All right, come on now. <laughs> Those who didn't raise your hand, you're probably scared because your parents are next to you. Come on. <laughs> There's always this perception. All he wants to do is control us. The father didn't try to control his son. Listen, folks, but often when your parents say no, it's not about control. It's about protection. Amen. It's not about control. It's about preparation. Come on, folks. If you look with me in verse 12, listen. And the younger said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many, day after, many days after, the, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country. The father didn't try to control him. And I'm here to tell you that our father God's not trying to control you. I mean, sometimes people got to learn by mistake. Now, how many of you have some hard-headed children? Uh -huh. All right, I know. I'm talking the right language right now. Come on, folks. Now, listen. They're not here today, so I can say this. I have two very hard-headed children. Mm -hmm. They feel like they know better than their dad. Come on, folks. 
Mm-hmm. In fact, my son, you know, he likes this bow up to me a little bit, you know. He, all of his 20 years. I'm going to tell you what. There won't be a day in his life that he could whoop his daddy. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Listen, all you sons out there, <laughs> when you get old and, you know, when you get like this, uh, we, we don't fight harder. We fight smarter. Come on, folks. And, and, and we've learned that we can really fight with our pocketbooks. Come on. How many guys understand what I'm talking about? It's amazing how sweet they get when they want the honey. I've had to learn that my, often my hard-headed children, they get to learn on their own. So I'll give my advice. They consider it control. But out of my love for them, I let them do their thing. And when it doesn't work out, one of them is pretty good about coming back and saying, Dad, I need your help. The other one's a little stubborn. You know, I just blame her mom for that. Come on, folks. But eventually they all come back. You see, the father's not trying to control us. He's trying to prepare us. And he's preparing us so that he's protecting us. How many of you guys understand what I'm saying? Amen. Listen, when I was preparing as a missionary, I was just ready to go. I mean, I, I praise God, I can live on 300 a month. Come on now. Thankfully, we had some parental figures, missionary leaders who said, you're not going until you're prepared. You're not going until you're ready. You're not going because you're not ready. Come on, folks. Amen. How many of you are thankful for those people? Amen. Get a few years on you, you realize... <laughs> I wasn't as smart as I thought I was at 17. Amen? Fatherhood is not about control. Fathers are a continual mentor. I realized when my kids became adults, listen, my daughter turned 13, I took her to the beach and gave her a ring. And it was a ring of becoming a teenager. And here's what I said to her. I said, listen, you've never been a teenager I've never parented a teenager. Let's do it together. But I realized there was a transition that was coming. There was a transition that was coming in her life, and it was time for me to shift gears. That's what a father does. Now they're adults, and I realize I want to be their biggest champion. I want to help them in their cause. I want to be the best supporter that they have, the greatest cheerleader that they have but I can't control their lives. Amen? In fact, just let me say this, dads. At some point, we have to release them to God and realize he's going to do better than we can do. Come on, folks. I've sent both of my kids off to other places, Rachel to the Awakening, Ryan to YWAM, because I realized God needed to put other mentors in their life. Because I realized I can't be their only mentor. How many of you guys understand? Amen? Fathering is not about control. Point number two, I want you to see this. Point number two we see in this story is that the father anticipated his return. Now, as I mentioned, sometimes you got to let them go to make their own mistakes. But I want you to see this beautiful picture. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. The younger son is coming back to the father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. His father, why, how did his father see him? Why did his father see him? Because he was waiting for him. In fact, you can see, imagine this picture. 
that biblically in the, the amount of wealth that he had, he probably had a, a terrace of some sort in his house. And can you imagine that father sitting day in and day out in the evening time perhaps, looking off into the horizon, wondering what happened to his son, waiting for his return. That's certainly contrary to the vengeful mindset that many people have of God, that God is waiting for us for our journey to be over just so he can judge us. No, he's waiting for you to come back to him because he's not going to force himself upon you. He gives us our own free will, puts people in our path, puts circumstances in our path that will always point us back to him. He's waiting for his return. And here's what I love. Here's what I love about the picture. Listen, he's not only waiting, but it says when he saw him afar off, he ran to him. He didn't wait for him to get to the house. Listen, I know how some of you southern dads are. Come on, folks. I'm, I, I'm from the south. I know how we get, right? Well, they can come right here. I ain't gone nowhere. They can come right here, and they can grovel. They can, they can show that they're sorry. Come on, folks. Isn't that how we get at times? That's not what this father did. His, this father said, I see my son coming to me. I'm not going to wait for him to come to me. I'm going to run to him. Listen, my Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 8, that when we come close to God, he comes close to us. Now, here's what you got to see about that. As we come close to him, he comes close to us. It doesn't say as God comes close to you, then you get close to him. That's not what it says. It says that when we take the first step... I'm going to say it one more time. When we take the first step, then God responds to us. We have to take the first step. And as the son came to the low point in his life, his father had been waiting. His father had been anticipating. Notice he didn't say, where have you been and what have you done? When he saw his son afar off, he ran to him, fell on his neck, and kissed him. He's waiting for the return. Listen, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I know that many parents in this room have wayward children, children that have walked away. Listen, you get on your knees, you pray for them like you've never prayed before. When you talk to them, don't lecture them, show them the love of Jesus. They'll come home. Come on, folks. They'll come home. Listen, your job is to pray and be consistent. Let God do his thing. Amen. So the father didn't try to control him. The father anticipated his return. And point number three, I want you to see this. The father did not hold his past against him. Oh, doesn't that change? Listen, my Bible tells me, Romans chapter 8, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He doesn't hold our past against us. Now, years ago, I was heard this from an educator, and he was talking to a group of families, and he told a story. He said it was a true story. He said he had a friend that when his son was three years old, the son went out and got a saw from the garden, and he starts sawing on the coffee table, starts putting all these nicks and marks all over it. The father found him. What are you doing? Takes it away from him. Well, the father held that one mistake over that young man's life for years. Gets to a point, the young man wants a bike. Dad, can I have a bike? No, you can't have a bike. 
Why can't I have a bike? You're not responsible. Look what you did to the table. He graduates to where he can drive a car. Dad, can I borrow the car? Son, let me show you the table that you messed up. He kept pointing back to, his, to, to the mistake that he made. Kept reminding him of his past. Well, eventually, the young man goes off to college, becomes a lawyer. Now dad is proud. Look at my son. Friends come over and say, you still have that coffee table that's all nicked and beat up? And the dad said, listen, that's a piece of art. My lawyer's son did that at three years old. Come on, folks. He held his past against him for years. But when the son became successful, suddenly it was a trophy. Come on, folks. God doesn't hold our past against us. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God forgets our sins as far as the east is from the west, as deep as the deepest ocean. The Bible says that we can have a new life in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. Come on now. The Bible says, listen, I, I was thinking about it. Somebody said something up here today. I looked it up in Lamentations, Lamentations chapter 3. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. Every morning's a new opportunity to start fresh. And don't worry if you mess up, you'll get another morning. Come on, folks. Amen. That is the view that we need to have from God. Mom and dad, come on, pops, Father's Day. That's the way we need to love our kids, not holding their past against them. And point number four, the final point is this, if you'll see it with me. The father was not ashamed of his son. Not only did he not hold his past against him, but look, verse 23, and he said, bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Not only was he not holding his past against him, but the father was not ashamed of his son. I shared this in the first service. Didn't mean to, had no intentions of sharing this with you today. But listen, the reason I'm in the stage right now is that one of my former youth, when I was a youth pastor, got in a whole lot of trouble 17 years ago, went on trial 15 years ago, received the death penalty. Now, they, through a glitch in the law, he was able to be resentenced. And thankfully, this week, they commuted his sentence from death row to life in prison. Now, that was a victory for him. But here's what I saw all week long, because some of you might have seen this. It was televised. I had to give testimony in this, in this, uh, in this trial that was going on. But this mother, this tenacious mother, who's been faithfully standing with her son, believing regardless of his past that he still had a future. This mother was on court, had, had her, her picture plastered in newspapers locally in that area, was giving testimony with tears dripping on, on national TV, sharing their story in his childhood and his upbringing. Why? Because she was not ashamed of his past. She said that the man that did that 17 years ago is not the man that is alive today. The love of God was shining through this woman, believing that her son still had a future. And I'm here to tell you today that the Bible says that everyone who comes to Jesus, everyone who comes, heaven is celebrating with a big party. He's not ashamed of you. He's proud of you. He's not ashamed of you. He loves you. Heaven is celebrating the fact that you've come to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and the devil has lost another battle because 
we've given our lives to Jesus, there's a celebration happening in heaven today. This is the perception that we need to change. God is not trying to control us. He's trying to protect us. He waits for us to return to him. Come on, folks. He doesn't hold our past against us, and he's not ashamed of you. And folks, I just believe with everything that's in me that many of you here today, God brought you here because he wants to change your perception. The perception you have is because of a tainted past, abuse that has come from authority figures in your life. The view you have of yourself has come from your past. But I'm here to tell you today you can change that view. There's a God who loved you enough to make sure you were in this service. God loved you enough to put the right people in your life to point to a new life. Listen, folks, if I was to share with you all of the mistakes of my life, I'd be ashamed. But I want you to know that Romans chapter 8, verse 28 tells us this, that all things work together for good. Not some things, all things. All things work together for good. Let me tell you the difference. When we use our past as an excuse, you're not allowing all things to work for your good. Romans 8.1 tells us this, there's therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. When you give your life to Jesus, the grip of your past can be broken. There's freedom that comes from him. Amen? Amen. So watch, when we get to Romans 8 verse 28, all things work together for good. Listen, my daddy, um, let me back up. My, my mama was 14 years old when she got pregnant with me. 15 when she had me. I was 39 years old when I met my biological father for the first time. I grew up experiencing, from one side of my family, got to be clear, from one side, not the other side, I grew up experiencing drug addicts and alcoholics, drugs being sold out of windows. Listen, that could be a big excuse in my life. I could simply say, I can't serve God. Look where I came from. Some people would say that's a valid excuse. But when you come to Jesus, come on, folks, but when you come to Jesus, there's new life in Christ. Come on, folks. So when I look at Romans 8, 28, I talk about my past. And I said, that's my past. But now my past has become a testimony. Come on, folks. Regardless of that, I'm still going to preach the gospel. Regardless of that, I'm still going to serve him faithfully. Regardless of that, I'm going to declare the goodness of God because I've been fearfully and wonderfully made. He knew me before I was in my father's womb. I'm a new creature in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. I am the craftsmanship, the workmanship of Christ, created to do good works, which God prepared beforehand. When you get the revelation, when your perception changes, you realize that your past becomes fuel for the future. You ever people see people in the middle of worship celebrating, dancing, jumping like crazy? Listen, when I saw those people, when I first came to Jesus, I felt they need a counselor. 
But then I found myself dancing and celebrating because of the joy of the Lord that came in my life. Listen, folks, don't judge anybody's worship until you know their story. Come on, folks. How many of you with me? So I want to challenge you today. I wonder how many of you are at a place that your perception needs to change. How many of you are at a place that you realize, even those that are watching online, that you realize God brought you to this place for a reason? Could I ask you just to close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment? And I'm just curious if you're here today. There's two groups of people I want to pray for. And that first group of people are people who have never known Jesus. You've heard about him, heard people talk about him, but you've never known him. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the Bible says that there is a way to get there. That he's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by him. Paul said it this way, if we simply confess in our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, then we'll be saved. Listen, God is as close to you today as he is the breath that comes out of your mouth. He's here today. And he brought you here because he loves you. He brought you online because he loves you today. Maybe you've given your life to him in days past, but you're not living for him today. I'm here to invite you today to walk into that new life. Walk into that freedom that comes by knowing him. If you're here today and you'd say, I don't know Jesus, or I've known him in the past and not living for him today, but you'd say today, I want to give my life to him because I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I need a change. I'm ready to surrender. If that's you today, I'm going to count to three, and I just want you to lift your hand. Just want you to lift your hand right where you're at today. Are you ready? One, two, three. If that's you, just lift your hand and say, I need him. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Anybody else that say, I need him, who would join this man and say, I need Jesus today. Thank you so much. I see that hand in the back. Anybody else that say, I need Jesus today. I'm surrendering everything to him. Hallelujah. Two people have raised their hands today. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Everybody in the room, say this out loud with me. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. Today I declare that you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Today I come to you. I ask you to take my life. I surrender it to you. I give you everything. Use my life as you will. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, give the Lord a hand today. Amen. It was, listen, I'm not going to embarrass you. There was somebody over here and there was somebody over here that responded today. I'm going to talk to you in just a moment. But I want to talk to a second group of people. You hear and you love God and you love Jesus. But you realize that your perception of him has been wrong. And today you need a fresh perspective. Today you're realizing there's hurts from the past that you need to give up. Maybe you're a father and saying, I realize I haven't been loving the way that I should. Regardless of your situation, I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to ask you to come. But if you would simply stand where you're at and say, 
I love Jesus, but I need some things to change in my life. I need some change in my life. If that's you today, just stand up right where you're at right now. Let me pray for you. Listen, I'm not going to embarrass you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm not going to embarrass you today. Anybody else, thank you so much. Anybody else that say, that's me, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's me today, that's me today. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, that it can penetrate even the hardest of hearts, the hardest of ground. Lord, I thank you for your spirit that softens our hearts to receive your word. And Lord, I pray for everyone that is standing today. Lord, we pray that you remove the hurts of the past, the, the words of the past, the things that have been done in the past. Lord, we pray for you to set them free right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray that, you, that they experience your overwhelming presence in their life. And Lord, I pray they leave this place differently than the way that they came in. Lord, do what only you can do in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's give them a big hand today. Amen. Let's all stand together, if you would. For those that, 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 that there's a, a man over here and a lady over here, they gave their life to Jesus today. Here's what I want to say to you. Please listen to me. Three things I tell people when they respond to Jesus. You have to realize there's a spiritual battle going on. The Bible says that we don't fight against flesh and blood alone, but of principalities and darkness that are in this world. So when you walk out of these doors, you might have this thing in your mind that said, that was this emotionalism, it wasn't real. I'm here to tell you it was real. God loved you enough to make sure that you were here today, to make sure you were here today. He loved you enough that response is because he was calling you. The second thing I want you to know is this, you need to tell those that are closest to you. Those people that are next to you, the people that, that, that see you every day, you need to tell them, I've given my life to Jesus. Come on, I, ta- I call this putting the devil on the eviction notice. I've given my life to Jesus. I'm a different person today. And you're going to see a different person. Come on, folks. And the third thing is this. You need to be a part of a Holy Ghost, Bible-believing, Spirit-filled church. Come on now. Amen. And how many believe that Fountain Life is a good place to be at? Amen. We have the privilege of bringing people, first-generation Christians, to Jesus. And we have the privilege of doing that. And here's what we tell them. There's no spiritual growth without community. You need to be a part of a community of believers. This is a great place to be. Amen. So bless you, bless you, bless you. How many of you guys are blessed today? Thank you so much for listening today, watching with us, opening your heart to the Word of God. It's my highest honor to preach the Word. Our church exists to reach people like you. That's why we exist, to be able to communicate the gospel to the entire world. God has given us such an amazing outreach here to be able to do it this way through the internet and stuff. It's just, it's just absolutely amazing. So I pray that God has touched you today, that God has ministered to you, and I want to pray for you right now. If you need to accept the Lord into your heart, give your life to Jesus, or if you need healing in your body or healing in your mind, I want to pray for you right now. Could you join with me? Come on, just make this declaration. Jesus, I believe you are my Lord and my Savior. I repent of all sin, and I commit my life to you right now in Jesus' name. Come on, if you need healing, stretch out your hand. Father, for those who need a healing touch, I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you heal them body and mind and touch them right now. We rebuke the disease and sickness that it's afflicting their body, and I pray for a complete wholeness. Come over them in the name of Jesus, and we give you thanks for it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, give him praise right where you are.
Thank God for everything He's done in your life. Tell somebody what the Lord has done for you. We love you guys, and it's a privilege to come to you.